Well, good evening, uh, Harvest Church family. It is always good to be back at Harvest and uh, just bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus at Grace Fellowship over in Zealand. And uh, thank you for just your commitment and your prayers on our behalf. Uh, we feel those and we're uh, just filled with gratitude for them. So thank you. And it is always good to be here to bring God's word. Um, I invite you to take your Bibles out this evening and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. In chapter 26, we're going to look together tonight at verses 36 through 46 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36, we'll read to verse 46. This is God's Word. Let's listen carefully to it. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's ask God's blessing tonight in prayer. Father, this is your word. It's living and active. We pray this evening that you would do your work in our hearts. That you would open our eyes. That you would open our ears. That we would see Jesus. His beauty and his glory and his sufficiency for weak sinners like us. And I pray that you would make us a praying people. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer at Grace Fellowship. And tonight, I want to consider with you the sixth and final petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer for spiritual protection, H.B. Charles Jr., who's becoming one of my favorite preachers uh, today, says this about prayer, makes the following observation, that it is arguably, quote, the most objective measurement of our dependence on God. He goes on to say, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. 
enter Peter and our Lord Jesus. One was cocky, self-assured, and significantly prayerless. The other was sober-minded, watchful, and on his knees. And I'd like to go through this passage this evening with you, and, and here's what I want tonight, by God's grace. I, I want you and I to feel just how desperately we need this petition in our lives. Not, not, just, not just once in a while when it's, um, maybe we're in a foxhole, not just occasionally when we maybe are faced with a really, really big temptation, but all the time. I want you to see and sense and feel in your soul how necessary and essential this petition is. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First, consider this is an essential prayer. This is an essential prayer. Why? Because if you're a child of God, if you love Jesus Christ, if you're resting in His finished work, then Satan hates you. He hates you. He hates the fact that you have been transferred from a kingdom, his kingdom of darkness, into Jesus' kingdom of light. He, he hates that fact. He hates that you have changed sides, that you have a new allegiance, that you have a new master. And he is out to destroy your faith. He is out to distract you and I from Jesus Christ. He's, he's out to convince us that we're okay on our own. That on a day-to-day -day level, we can rely on our own strength, that we're safe. We're breathing the air of a Christian environment in the church and in the home and perhaps the school and everything is safe. That is what the devil would love us to think. And how does he tempt us? By making us think that we can rely on ourselves. Now, context always matters, and it does here as well. In the verses leading up to the passage that we've read, uh, we have these words of Jesus to his disciples, of course, including Peter. He said to them, "'You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered.'" Peter responds, verse 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus then adds, well, actually, Peter, you will, and you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter said to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. What's missing in Peter? Well, certainly not conviction. He has plenty of that. Sort of love Peter for that. But what is missing is humility, dependency, a, a healthy self-suspicion, distrust of himself. Notice nowhere here in this passage do you hear, Jesus, uh, do you hear Peter praying. Isn't that interesting? 
of all the times that Peter should have been praying. He should have gotten down on his knees right then and there before King Jesus and pleaded with him for grace and mercy and strength and help in his time of need. But he doesn't pray. Why? Because he's proud and he's self-reliant. Peter's prayerless lips reflects a proud, self-reliant heart. How do you know if you're proud? How's your prayer life? How's my prayer life? Who am I depending on? Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Spurgeon told uh, the illustration of two men who were sentenced to die as martyrs in the bloody days of Queen Mary. And leading up to that sentence, that fateful day of being martyred, uh, they talked together because they were in the same prison cell, and the one told his friend how excited he was to die a martyr for the sake of Jesus Christ and how confident that he was uh, that when he went to the stake, everything would be fine because of his, his sincere love for Jesus Christ. And the other man said and admitted to him, somewhat maybe embarrassingly said, I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to get burned. In fact, I... Knowing myself, I'm, I'm afraid that when the flames come and touch my flesh, I might recant. I might, I might turn against Jesus. Would you pray for me? And then he prays, seeking God's help, seeking God's strength, saying, I can't do this. I'm scared. And when it happened... The first man ended up recanting. The second man, who made it his prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, stood as firm as a rock as his body was burnt to a cinder. Friends, I am and we are far weaker than we think. Far weaker Peter's prayerlessness continues into Gethsemane now, verses 37 and 38, and taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And if you're familiar at all with this passage, you know what happens next. It says a lot about Peter and James and John, but it also says a lot about you and me. After Jesus then goes a little bit further and pleads with his Father in prayer, he returns, and what does he find? He comes to his disciples and finds them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes and he comes back and it happens all over again. And Matthew records simply that their eyes were heavy. 
Now, the ridiculousness and disappointment of such behavior might boggle your mind until you realize that you're no different than Peter. See, we're in a war. But if our prayer lives, generally speaking, are any litmus test, we act like everything around us and within us is safe and there's no danger to be found. Which means we're either far too self-assured that we're invincible or we're just plain ignorant about the battle. Perhaps like a new soldier who goes into war, cocky, excited for the opportunity, thinking he's invincible, having no clue what awaits him until he sees bodies piled up or one of his friends get killed. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 127, when it asks, what does the sixth petition mean? Part of the answer is that we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. Now, do, you, do you really believe that? It's just maybe an exaggeration, maybe a bit of uh, hyperbole here on the part of those who drafted the catechism. I mean, is it really that bad? Are we really that impotent, that vulnerable, that weak? Well, yes. And unless you see that and sense that and feel that and know that, you're, you're not going to pray this. I'm not going to pray this. I mean, you might. You might pray it. You might lip it. Do lip service to it. We do that all the time with the Lord's Prayer. We, we just say the prayer. But until we really know ourselves, we just give lip service to the sixth petition. J.I. Packer provides, I think, a helpful summary. He says, quote, Knowing, uh, sorry, knowledge of our own proven weakness, thick-headedness, and all-around vulnerability in spiritual matters, and the skill with which Satan exploits our strong and weak points alike, compels us to cry in humility and self-distrust, lead us not into temptation. Now, if, if that's all true, and it is, our weakness, Satan's strength, do we have any hope? In other words, what makes us think that this prayer will make any difference whatsoever in the fight of the Christian life? Well, it's certainly not because of the one who makes the prayer. It's not because of your strength or my resolve, uh, but it's because of the grace and sufficiency and power of the one to whom we make it. So it's not only an essential prayer, brothers and sisters, but it is secondly an essential, it is an effective prayer. It's not only essential, it's effective. It's striking, isn't it? Did it strike you as, as I read the text this evening that Peter, a sinful man, trusts in himself, whereas Jesus, a righteous man, the God-man, goes to his Father for strength? It's incredible, isn't it? And God sustains him through his, his greatest temptation. If there be any other way, Jesus was staring at the cross, knowing 
what he was about to enter for your sake and mine. Knowing the dark pit of that place. And, and so he gets on his knees and he pleads with his father and he asks for help. And the father sustains him. In, fa in fact, Jesus, the Bible teaches, boys and girls, was tempted in every way. Every single way. Think of that. Yet without sin. Which means that temptation itself is not sin. Now we can be fools and walk into dangerous situations and places and expose ourselves to things that we should not, but the temptation is not the sin. It's, it's yielding then. It's giving in to that temptation and saying yes to the flesh, which is sin, which Jesus never did. So, so what exactly are we asking for in this petition? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, both to be kept from temptation, but especially when tempted, to be given the strength and grace to say no. To not yield. To say yes, as Brother Greg prayed. To Christ. That's what we're asking. That's what we're praying Paul, in that same place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, adds this. Verse 12, as I've mentioned, therefore let anyone who thinks lest he, that he stands take heed lest he fall. And then verse 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, maybe some of you are here tonight and you think, that's just not possible. You're keenly, you're intimately, personally aware of your weakness. In fact, maybe you're here tonight and, and, and you're just fed up with yourself because you keep returning to the same sin, and maybe you've lost hope this evening that things could ever change, that you could ever have victory over this particular besetting sin. Maybe you're convinced that the temptation you're experiencing is just too unbearable. Listen to Alistair Begg on this note. He says, no, it wasn't unbearable. It was attractive. It was desirable. It was compelling, but it wasn't unbearable. There has never been an occasion in my life, he says, when I willfully sinned because the temptation was so strong that I couldn't bear it. In every instance, he says, it was because I wanted to do it. So why did God give us, why did Jesus give the disciples and us this particular petition? Because he knows how incredibly weak we are and how sufficient his grace is. Listen, Jesus is infinitely more committed to your holiness than you are. And so he gives a way of escape. It comes in lots of different forms. Maybe it's a friend, a brother, or a sister is walking with you, an accountability group. Maybe it's a, a providence. Maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's the prayers of your mom and dad 
Maybe it's an injury that you're afflicted with. Maybe it's an interruption in your life, which at the time is incredibly inconvenient. Maybe it's just the indwelling, convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe it's your prayer as you yield this to God and say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. But how do we know that He'll answer this request? Didn't the Father, in a sense, say no to Jesus in this very place? I mean, wasn't that the final answer of the Father to Jesus who yielded himself and said, not my will, but your will be done, but if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, and yet this was the only way? There was no other way. Jesus had to go all the way to the cross for sinners But you see, it's because of that. It's because the Father said, no, Jesus, you have to go to the cross. This is the plan. This is the mission. This is how we will accomplish redemption. It's because of that that we can know that He will, in grace, answer this request. When we learn to pray it in urgency and in humility and honesty, Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The author says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then listen. With confidence, draw near where? To the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace. When? In our time of need. In our moment of temptation. We have in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, the God-man in our flesh who was in all ways tempted as we are yet without sin, who invites us and teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And because the Father sent Jesus to the cross and because Jesus willingly yielded Himself to the Father's will, we can know that there is grace waiting for those who seek the Lord when tempted. He will provide a way of escape. That's encouraging. That's an encouraging word because if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're fighting. I'm fighting. I'm fighting sin. I'm fighting the flesh. I'm fighting the devil and the world. And sometimes it just feels so hard And sometimes it's so discouraging. But the grace of the Lord Jesus is sufficient for us. And he gives us this prayer. Not so that we can just do it via memory, not even thinking about what we're saying. But so that we can really take ownership of this request and see it as not just optional, but necessary. 
vital to the good fight of faith. I'm so thankful that Peter's story doesn't end here in Matthew 26 in the garden, falling asleep and then denying Jesus three times. I mean, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that encouraging to you that Peter's story doesn't end there? Jesus was, wasn't done with Peter yet, and he's not done with you yet, and he's done, not done with me yet. Remember, he restores Peter. He forgives Peter, and he reinstates Peter, and he calls Peter to feed my lambs. And he forgives him. Before, the apostle was the proud, the prayerless. But now, after having his eyes opened by the Spirit, having his eyes opened by the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection, Peter is now a changed man. He's now sober-minded. He's now prayerful. He would one day become himself a martyr. What changed? The Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see his true self and to see the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and his power and his beauty and his sufficiency. Peter says this, I'll end here from 1 Peter chapter 5. The same man who fell hard says this to you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, Peter can speak from experience, himself will restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Brothers and sisters of Harvest Church, let's make use of the prayer. Tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off and you think, I've got this. Everything is okay. Everything's safe. I'm strong. I've had a few good days. I went to church twice yesterday. Get low. And cry out, I'm weak, the devil's strong. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil because you're stronger and you promise to make a way out. Let's be that kind of people who pray expectantly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this reminder tonight. Lord, Lord, a prayer that most of us, probably all of us in this room have memorized from when we were kids or at least a long time ago, Lord. It's such a beautiful prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and yet, Lord, it is a temptation for us to, to hear it and to mouth it and to just give lip service to it because we're so familiar with it. Yet, Lord, um, if Peter's any lesson tonight, we're far weaker than we realize 
And yet, Lord, what a, what a picture of your son, Jesus. This perfect man, this perfect God-man, who in Gethsemane, being very God of very God, knowing what he was about to face as a fellow human being with us, did not rely on himself, but went to you for strength. And you sustained him, Lord, even though you called him to endure the cross. And now he is risen, and he is at your right hand, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Lord, we're weak, we're powerless, and we fall. And Lord, we confess tonight that we haven't made this request our own. A lot of times, Lord, our lack of prayer life exposes just how much we're trusting in ourselves. And so would you forgive us? And would you speak tenderly and graciously to us? And would you impress upon us that this is an effective prayer when we bring it in Jesus' powerful name because he intercedes, he pleads, and he strengthens in our moment of temptation. Lord, we're not called to do this alone. We thank you for the blessing of the church community into which we're called and saved And so may we lock arms with one another and may we learn what it means to walk in faith and to fight the good fight together. And we thank you that in Jesus Christ the outcome is secure, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your precious promises and that our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but in you. Thus we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.